Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting us in this space today. We thank you for the promises that you've made that you won't <clears throat> leave us or forsake us, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, that your grace is sufficient for us. And we thank you for this invitation and opportunity we've had today to come into your presence, to gather at your table, to remember all that you've done for us, to remember who we are in Christ, to remember that because of you we're forgiven and made whole. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you uh, to Virgil and to all of you for the kindness that you showed to my family and I during this recent uh, time of passing of my sister-in-law and my having to be away from the church for a week or two. I appreciate uh, all that you have done for your cards, for the gifts of food, for the uh, calls and the, the, uh, the uh, times that you just made it very clear to us that we were loved and we were feeling the support the congregation had given to us. So thank you for that. As I come today, it's, I want to remind you that we've kind of started, even though I got broke up, a series called Getting Right with God. And in this series, each week we kind of find ourselves hearing a dilemma, a moment in the story where we're going to have to ask ourselves, who, rep who does that represent in the story? Am I, am I on the good side or the bad side? Am I on the right side or the wrong side? It's a question of, am I right with God? It comes up in each of those uh, sermons each of these in the series as we go through. And, and we already have spoken uh, at length about the importance of faith and belief and how important it is for us to be people who have a deep belief and faith that God can do what God says God can do. Well, this week I want to take us to a topic that's much less commonly talked about than faith. But it's vitally important. In fact, it's so important that when Jesus after the temptation, when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, the very first word he preaches in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the first word Jesus says to start his ministry is the word repent. Repent. This is the same thing that John the Baptist had said. John the Baptist had preached repentance to the people, and when Jesus began his ministry, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I want to think about that word repent for a minute and repentance, because to repent is, is uh, in, the, in the New Testament idea, it comes from two key words. The Greek word is metanoio, is the word we would use for repent. That comes from two other Greek words, meta, meaning after, and noia, meaning thought or to think. So it's the idea of an afterthought. Afterthought, we would change. In the first century, when the Greek writers wrote about the word repent, it didn't have a religious meaning. It just had a meaning of changing your direction or your thought process. In fact, there's a famous story that was written about the same time as the Gospels were being written of two thieves back in Greece. And the thieves uh, had robbed someone and then after thinking about it, they'd left, after thinking about it, they decided that we should probably go back and, and do that poor guy in because he could tell people that he's who we are. So they repented of their 
kindness and letting them live. So in the Greek text, repentance just has the idea of a change of our thinking, not religious per se, just a, a way of seeing things differently. That's what makes what Jesus did, the New Testament writers did, so incredibly, they put a new understanding and a new emphasis into the word repent. So that it had more than just saying, I want to change my thinking, but it had to do with changing my very being, changing my heart, uh, changing my uh, very spirit, my thoughts, my mind, my strength, everything about me, uh, changing that in a new direction to change how I look at things, how I move towards things. In the Old Testament, there was another word that was frequently used for turn, or, or for, for repent, it was a word that means to turn. In the Old Testament sense, it was the idea of turn back to God, away from idols. Give up the idols that you're worshiping and turn towards God. It's the Hebrew word shuv, and it, it has this idea of turning. Well, Paul picks up on that in chapter, chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, verses 8 and 9. Paul picks up on this idea of repent and to see things in a new way and to turn. Paul in 1 Corinthians had rebuked the church in Corinth for some sin they were allowing to just run rampant. And so he writes to them now his second letter. In his second letter he says, If I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way by us. So it's this idea that there are things that happen that we might need to change, to turn away from or to think about them in a new way, to reflect on them in a new way and, and to be transformed in some way. There are two parables, two stories the Bible tells that Jesus tells that really give us an insight into the positive and the negative sides of repentance. And this morning, I want us to take just a second to, to go to two familiar stories. The first one, you'll know well from Luke chapter 15, of the story of the prodigal son. Now, as we go through this, this parable, and we won't read the entire parable, but as you hear the story, listen for the marks and the moments that repentance comes into the story. Jesus is telling the story, and he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Incredibly, the father divided up his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. That man sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. The son longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17 is really important. It says, when he came to his senses, when he saw things in a new way, he had an afterthought. He came to a moment of repentance. He came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Filled with compassion, his father ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. The young man exhibits several characteristics that are so important to this concept of repentance. Think about the moment in the story where he was humbled, and he humbled himself to the point that he realized he had really made a mess of things. He had messed up his life. Perhaps the most incredible part of the story is not, however, the recognition, I blew it. A lot of us We live in that space when we think about different moments in our life. We think, well, I blew it there, and I can't fix it. I I blew it, and we just stay in that space. I want you to understand something that in the story that Jesus told, the young man could have had that realization and just lived the rest of his life in the hog lot. He could have been stuck there for the rest of his life, And, and too many people find themselves stuck in the past, stuck in shame and guilt over mistakes that they've made. The prodigal could have done that, but he turned, and when he turned, he turned back towards Christ in a powerful way. And in that turning, he realized a lot of things about his position, his plight, he regretted his choices, and he returned to his father with an attitude uh, that was full of change. He returned with a change of mind. He returned with a sorrow and a change of understanding of sin. Uh, He was filled with change, and he came back home a different person than he had left. I want you to understand that repentance is more than just sorrow. Sorrow in of itself is just guilt. Now, godly sorrow can lead us to repentance, which is a way of dealing with our guilt. But repentance is not just feeling sorry for what we've done. True repentance demands change. It demands change. You're familiar with the story of Peter. We've talked frequently in the last few months about Peter's betrayal of Jesus, the things that happened there. I want you to think about the night that Peter betrays Jesus. He does. He sinned. He's filled with guilt. He's filled with shame. When that rooster crows, he's devastated. Uh, He knows he's blown it. But I want you to see something else in those stories of Peter's life, and that is that even after he had blown it, Peter, in his heart, wants to run back to Jesus. That's why on the first day of the week, when they hear the news that that Jesus has resurrected, Peter runs to the tomb. He runs towards Jesus. Uh, He wants to obtain forgiveness. It's important to him uh, that he has forgiven for what he's done. He wants forgiveness. And it's a beautiful thing when we read that he is indeed forgiven. 
and that great story where Jesus three times says, Peter, do you love me? Peter obtained the forgiveness that he was seeking. He was like the prodigal son. This change that happens in us is informed first and foremost by an understanding of God's will and God's grace. God doesn't want to leave any of us in the hog lot. God's will is that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance, that we would change. It involves a change of our understanding that even though we have failed, we are still loved. It involves a change of our feelings. It does involve a sense of conviction, and it involves a change of our will as an overflow of the change occurring in our hearts. It's marked by a change in our behavior, our future conduct. Now, Paul wrote in the Romans letter in chapter 2, verse 4, that we should not show contempt for the riches of the Lord's kindness or his forbearance and his patience. We must understand that God's kindness is intended to lead us toward something, to lead us to repentance, Romans 2, verse 4. God wants for us to come to a place of repentance, but not just a part of feeling sorry, but a part of being transformed. True repentance is evidenced by a changed life. This is what was missing in another story that Jesus told. Listen to the story of the unmerciful servant. You know this story as well from Matthew chapter 18. It's a story that Jesus told when Peter asked him a question. He said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who's wronged me? Seven times? And of course, Jesus said, no, Peter, 77 times. And then Jesus told this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, he said, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not, a ten, hear that again, 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. But the servant fell on his knees before the master. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. And when the master saw the servant, he took pity on him. In fact, he canceled the debt. What did it say he was owed? 10,000 bags of gold. That's huge. And he canceled the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. How much had he been forgiven? 10,000 bags of gold. How much has he owed? A few hundred silver coins. He grabbed him. He began to choke him. He screamed at him, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off 
And he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. That's an ominous story that Jesus tells. It's one of those stories that makes us ask the question, am I a merciful servant or an unmerciful one? And what are the consequences of those positions? But in the story, do you see a man who had a moment of clarity? He understood that he had a debt he couldn't pay. And he humbled himself before the, the master. And in the story, he, he begged for mercy and, and he was given it by the master. His humility and his repentance yielded him the same thing that had happened in the story of the prodigal son. But unlike the story of the prodigal son, where we don't know the end of his story after that, Jesus doesn't tell that part of the story. In this occasion, we hear it. And we hear that even though he had had a moment of contrition, in a moment he recognized that he was guilty, that he had a debt he couldn't pay, even though he had come to that moment of understanding, he did not turn in a new direction. But in fact, this this servant who was forgiven 10,000 bags of gold's worth of debt showed no change, no transformation, even though what had been done for him was great. He had not repented in any way because to repent is to change. I shared with you that Peter returned, he repented, he returned, he turned towards Jesus and he obtained forgiveness. But Peter wasn't the only one who betrayed Jesus, was he? Judas also was guilty of betrayal. There's evidence in the text that he felt terribly guilty for what he had done. He felt bad that things had turned out as they had happened. It doesn't seem that Judas wanted to see Jesus dead. He just didn't want to see him, period. He, he laments that he's taken the money. He tries to give the money back. He feels guilt about what he's done. But this is the interesting thing about Judas. Whereas Peter returned to Jesus and obtained forgiveness, Judas is only able to obtain for himself a rope. Forgiveness is powerful. Repentance says, not only am I excited to receive God's grace and his mercy, but I want to change. Spiros Zodiates tells a story, or excuse me, he writes about repentance, and he says these things must happen for true repentance to have occurred. He says, first of all, like that prodigal son who said, I've sinned against heaven and against you, we must acknowledge that our past actions were, in fact, sinful. It was a sin. It was wrong to treat someone this way or to do this thing. 
then there must be a, an act of transformation of thinking towards ourself, towards others, and towards God. Remember what that prodigal said? I am not worthy to be called your son. He was transformed. He recognized that he was in desperate need. There must be a moment of contrition for the damage that we have done to ourselves and to others by our sins. An acknowledgement that all sins, big and little, they all bring destruction. And sin is a poison that once released, it will do damage to us, to others, and to God's very creation. So we must acknowledge that there is a, a deep sense that sin destroys then there's this moment where we must change our conduct. Again, the young man who was the prodigal son said, I've sinned against my father. He implies I don't want to do that anymore. I want to change. And finally, and this is vitally important, there must be a surrendering or a turning or a change of direction or a change of control in one's life, turning back and turning over our lives to God. This is, in fact, repentance. Now, I like a story that Denver Sizemore tells. He writes about a, a, an old-time revival, back in the days where people had big tent meetings, and they'd gather every night for a week to hear sermons, and the community would come out. And, and in this little town that Sizemore was a part of uh, at that time, there was, a, uh, there was a man in the town named Ernie. And it was a small town. It was a rural country town. Not a lot of people lived there. Close enough kind of town that everybody knew everybody. And Ernie was the kind of guy that he had a reputation in town for kind of being a petty thief. Now, it wasn't the kind of thievery where he, he was so underhanded as to take things when you weren't watching. But the way that Ernie would do things is that Ernie would be the guy who would come up and he'd see you have a shovel there. And he'd say, you know, I got some, some digging I need to do. Can I borrow your shovel? And if you said yes, you'd never see your shovel again. And uh, maybe it was a tool. If he needed a wrench, he'd say, can I borrow that wrench? And, and you'd say, well, okay, Ernie. And again, you'd never see it ever again. And that was Ernie. Everyone knew it. He was kind of a lovable thief in a sense, but he wasn't. A, in fact, if you take something and never return it, there is a, a kind of theft that happens there, right? And so everyone knew about Ernie. And it was kind of the, he was kind of a town joke. Like, if you saw Ernie coming, you better put away your things. Because if he takes and if you lend him something, you'll never see it again. Well, Sizemore says that at the revival, when the old evangelist was preaching about sin and repentance and change, that old Ernie walked the aisle. He came forward and he gave his life to Jesus. He was baptized that very night. Now, Sizemore says that, that happened early in the week of revival, and on the weekend, he's down at the barber shop. And while he's at the barber shop, the guys were all talking about Ernie. And the, the stories they were telling about Ernie is, you're not going to believe what happened this week. <laughs> One guy said, you know, Ernie brought me back my shovel. Another guy said, I can't believe that old Ernie finally brought back my wrench. Someone else said, I can't imagine what Ernie did with this. He said, you know, he asked me years ago if he could have a a piece of glass, or borrow a piece of glass I had for something he needed it for, and he brought me back a pane of glass. Everyone got a big joke out of that. And Sizemore said it was in that moment he recognized something. Even though it might have seemed simple and silly, 
There was no question that Ernie had truly repented. He was changed. He was going to be different as he moved forward. Sizemore, who's written extensively on the topic, said, nothing I could write, nothing I could say would ever preach as powerful a sermon as what Ernie did that week when salvation came to his life. He repented and he was changed. Now I understand. There are some sins in our life, some actions that are easier for us to let go of than others. Some people, and maybe some even in this room, have struggled with addictions. You let a sin set in your life long enough that it got a hold of you. And whether that was in drunkenness or in drugs or pornography or whatever it was, a sin comes to a place that becomes something we're addicted to, physically uh, addicted to. Sometimes I think there's a spiritual component of addiction. And it becomes something that's really difficult for us to let down and let go. So when you hear the sermon about repentance and that part of repentance is the necessity of change, you struggle because you think, man, I, I haven't been able to lay this thing down. It keeps grabbing hold of me. Change is hard. God does several things to help us battle sin and to truly repent and to lay down addictions. I want to remind you first and foremost that when we come to Christ, when we make a decision that says, I want to become a Christian, that we don't just receive forgiveness for our past sins. In Acts chapter 2, which we'll look at next week, right? When he says, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God comes to live in us for one thing, to help us to lay down sin. On our own, we don't have the strength, but God says, I'll be with you. I'll help you lay this down. And not only that, we have each other. The Bible's told us for a long time to carry each other's burdens, to bear with one another in love. There are some things that for us to truly lay them down, we'll have to have the help of a friend to hold us accountable, to encourage us, to walk with us as we try to make that move of transformation away from addiction. Beyond that, here at Ogilvy Christian Church, if this is something that you struggle with, we want to help you. We want to help you be transformed. Myself and Virgil and Zach and our elders are, are more than willing to meet with you and to talk with you and to pray with you and to help navigate that, that time of change in your life. Not only that, sometimes there are things that require a little psychological help, quite frankly, some mental health components to letting go and to changing. And we're happy to work. We even provide free counseling with professional counselors that the church can help to provide you with to help you to navigate true repentance. Because true repentance involves change. There is a sense sometimes that the, the sins that we hold on to are little things, not deadly things. But I want you to understand something about why repentance is so important. Sin is like the opening of a wound. And over time, it festers, it grows, it becomes gangrenous. And left unchecked, it kills us and destroys us. If we would see ourselves as though we were caught in a trap from which we had to be freed, 
instead of thinking, oh, it's nothing, it's no big deal, we'd recognize how necessary repentance is. Jesus kind of said this in a different story, a third story, if you will. He talked about two paths we take through life. Sadly, he said, there are a lot of people that are on the wrong path. It's a freeway. It is a freeway that is going full speed towards hell. And then there's this other road. It's narrow. It's difficult. But it is making its way to heaven. Jesus says, repent. Change. Change the lane that you're in. Change the road that you're on. Get on the right path. We want to invite you and encourage you. If you're on the wrong path today, repent. If there's a sin in your life you need to lay down and get away from, repent. I want to say to you now what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and the people on the side of the... Repent. I want to share with you what Jesus said in his very first sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. I want to tell you what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized. Friends, I call us to a moment of repentance as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. Amen.